Hi everyone, say hi to Katie Dewhurst, functional medicine health coach and nutritionist, a cookbook author and the founder of the Hello Baby prenatal nutrition course. She's the founder and CEO of Hello Balance, a health and wellness company helping women optimize their health through food. Katie is based in Singapore and I'm excited to have her on today to talk about the science um, behind prenatal nutrition and I know she does a lot of research around this so it would be great to talk about it so hi Katie hi I'm so excited thank you so much for having me I've been admiring your work for so many years so it's an honor and pleasure to be on the show I'm so excited to have you on I mean looking at your thing your stuff too like on Instagram like it's really really very information uh, inform informative for women um, so let's go ahead and get started in terms okay. of current research, what do you see, um, you know, it telling us about like how nutrition can impact fertility and pregnancy? Yeah, there's just so much that we're learning. I think, you know, as you know, being in the functional medicine space, we're really at the tip of the iceberg for really understanding what's going on with our fertility and with pregnancy. And then what would an optimal diet look like? And I think, um, you know, we have to kind of take conventional guidelines with a grain of salt and also, you know, the RDAs, all of those are really best guesses. So we do, um, as women, I think need to come back to our intuition, really knowing like what our needs are, what our body's communicating with us, taking the wisdom of, you know, just how we evolved and then applying what the current research is telling us. And the current research is, you know, really kind of shedding light on just how far away I think we've come from what an optimal diet for fertility and pregnancy looks like. Um, you know, I'm sure you're really familiar, but there's a really big gap between uh, public policy and, and mm. what what the guidelines kind of share oh, yeah. and then where the current research is leading us. And the current research is really telling us that diet and lifestyle can, you know, makes the biggest difference in number one, your egg quality. So if we're thinking about fertility, there's no other medical intervention that's going to make a bigger impact on your egg quality than your diet. So that year or even three to four months before you conceive, that's, that's going to be making the biggest difference on your egg quality. And we think about even like chromosomal abnormalities, which is one of the biggest risk factors for miscarriage. Even that, um, you know, our diet is really able to modify and start to turn down the volume and like decelerate the risk factor of a chromosomal error happening. So I think, you know, we, we, we can think about things to start adding back into our diets, really focusing on optimizing our nutrient status for more positive outcomes when it comes to, uh, our baby's health and development. So we're thinking their cognitive development in utero, their genetic expression, which starts, as you probably know, three to four months before we even conceive. So these are all really exciting things that the current research is leading us towards. And I think we can start to kind of, we can get into some of the nitty gritty today and talking about what are the actual nutrient needs we need to grow a healthy baby. But I just think it's important for women to know that we, we do hold some of the control and the power. And I think 
while there is so much out of our control when it comes to pregnancy and it is such a miracle, there also is parts that we can control and that is our diet and our lifestyle. We can start to stack the deck in our favor with making sure we're really optimizing our nutrient status, minimizing our exposures to toxins where we can. And it's not about being perfect, but it's about just taking little steps every day in the right direction to optimal fertility and you know, hopefully conception and a healthy pregnancy. You put it really well. I think I like what you said about how uh, food affects our genetic expression. I think a lot of it is like, uh, we feel like, oh, you know, we have to eat better only when we're pregnant, but actually um, what we input in our bodies can really affect like our child's, um, you know, I guess, capacity to develop like insulin resistance further down the line. Mm -hmm. Like it's crazy. Um, So we do have the genes, but then we also have the control, as you're saying, to like kind of turn on or turn off them. Exactly. Yeah. So our DNA is basically set, right? We have our DNA and, and we're not really changing the DNA, but you're changing how our genes are expressed. So I think we can think of it kind of as that light switch. This is a common example within functional medicine and how it's explained as a dimmer switch, if you will. So we have certain genes that might predispose us to metabolic disorder, like insulin resistance, obesity, diabetes. In that gene, we might be able to turn on or off or kind of predispose our our babies to a higher risk of developing those diseases. And that is what the current research is telling us. This mm. isn't, um, you know, this is definitely where the the science is going. And, and this is a huge field that we have a big body of research and evidence to support. I mean, epigenetics, we've been studying for a while and we see this. Um, there was actually a really cool mouse study that they did, the Agouti mouse study. And they took, you know, two... The, the, the moms and they uh, supplement, they gave them the same exact diet, but one was supplemented with the nutrients needed for the methylation process, which is the process for healthy genetic expression that we want to support three to four months before conception. So that mother had all of those nutrient cofactors supplemented into her diet. And then the mom that wasn't, um, and she didn't get any of those nutrients through pregnancy or lactation, you see a huge difference in the picture of these mice. And maybe we can include that in the show notes or something just to mm-hmm. give people a visual of um, just how much genetic expression really matters and how much nutrients matter. Cause this isn't a medical intervention. This is just getting the nutrients you need for optimal and proper genetic expression. So um, it changed the color of the mouse's uh, hair. So that gene was totally switched on or off. So one was a brown mice, one turned into a yellow one. So, and then the the obesity, the insulin resistance, like totally on different levels, right? So Mm -hmm. these are the things that we can start to make a really big impact on during pregnancy and even before pregnancy. So I don't want women to overlook that trimester, whatever people want to call it, trimester zero, but that is an important time that shouldn't be overlooked. We can really start to make a good impact through diet. 
I love that. Thank you so much for outlining that big picture. Um, obviously, epigenetics also affect, you know, not only just women who want to conceive, but everybody in different stages mm -hmm. of life. Um, but just to kind of bring it back to our conversation, it's about like, you know, um, that pre-fertility that you're talking about. Um, so I'm really excited to dive into like the comparison between, you know, conventional guidelines, what they are saying right now, and what the current research is saying right now. So let's go ahead and do that. Okay, yeah. So I guess, you know, if we look at current guidelines, I think there's a lot where I feel like we could start, I think it's a good baseline. It's kind of like, okay, this is maybe preventing severe nutrient deficiencies and maybe it's a good baseline, but we can do so much better than that. And I think one good example is protein. Um, some of the guidelines kind of shy women away from eating an abundance of red meat or fish or liver or eggs. And it kind of starts to make some of those really nutrient dense animal proteins feel like they're, they're not appropriate for pregnancy or we shouldn't be consuming them in excess. And I think a lot of women tend to, to worry and there's more fear around harming the baby when my approach is more about what should we be adding into our diets to promote and help, uh, you know, give our baby the nutrients they need to develop optimally instead of worrying about um, so much of the fear that we see online around different foods. So I'm really trying to kind of say, okay, well, what is actually the risks associated with eating eggs, for example, or fish, we know actually there was two systematic reviews of over 44 publications. So a big body of research where they looked at and they analyzed, okay, moms who ate fish compared to moms who don't eat fish. And you know, because, you know, we live in Singapore, um, I've, I'm obviously from the US, but culturally, there's different diets in different places in different parts of the world. So the U.S., I think that's kind of like maybe the audience we might be speaking to right now. I know there's a lot of different listeners, but in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of talking about the U.S. conventional guidelines is what I'm referring to. And there's a 12 ounce guideline of that's how much fish we should eat because there's fear of mercury toxicity. I had a client who um, she was vegetarian, but she did eat fish, dairy and eggs before pregnancy. And then once she got pregnant, she eliminated those foods. And I asked her why? Well, she had read online that, you know, there's a chance of mercury toxicity, which is a neurotoxin. It could be harmful for the baby and that's in fish. So why eat fish in general? Well, this, this, these two systematic reviews that I was talking about, they found that women who ate the most fish and the woman who ate the 12 ounces or more, their child, so this is a bunch of mother-child pairings, the moms who ate the most fish, the child actually scored highest on IQ tests later in life. The moms who ate no fish at all, their children scored the lowest. And then we think, okay, that was despite any mercury toxicity effects, you know? So even, so eating fish in general, obviously we, we can, you know, be smart about it. We don't have to choose high mercury fish sources, but these are the things that I'm kind of trying to give some guidance on and try to take away the fear and look more to, well, what is the nutrients that these foods are providing and where 
are the most nutrient dense forms of food that we can be including during this time when nutrient needs are so much higher than normal. So we know we need more iron during pregnancy. We need three times more B12 during pregnancy. We need more glycine during pregnancy. So a lot of these foods might be coming from animal sources, which we tend to, there's a big movement, I think, kind of leaning away from that. And I don't, I don't know that that's going to be helpful in the long run for pregnant women. I do find in my practice, um, when I'm working with vegetarians, I always honor that choice and I'm always very supportive of that, but then we have to supplement a lot more because there's more nutritional gaps that we have to fill. So this is the kind of information that I think going into some of the nitty gritty of, you know, for thinking what is the current guidelines telling us and where can we start to optimize? I think we can totally do that just through our diet and then looking at our supplement protocol, looking at the current science and then start picking and choosing. And there's really easy swaps we can start to make. It doesn't have to be super complicated and, um, it's the foods we're all familiar with, right? Yes, I like how you um, outline like, you know, how diet is so important and also like the importance of having some of those nutrients coming from red meats. Um, so I actually, I spoke to Lily Nichols and, you know, some listeners oh. might know. Yeah, she wrote, you know, Real Foods for Pregnancy. And she's also very research and data driven. Um, mm-hmm. And she was talking also about how, you know, like women in tribes, like they would eat a lot of animal meats and also really fatty like organs because that, you know, provides the cholesterol, but also provides like all tons of like nutrients, like for example, like the glycine, which is really important for our gut lining. Um, And I think those are, you know, it can be missing in like a vegan or vegetarian diet, of course. Um, And so I think, yeah, it's really good to have the awareness moving in if someone wants to conceive, right? Like, you know, some vegetarians are also flexible in that sense. They're like, okay, you know, maybe if like, trying to conceive I would like kind of tweak my diet a little bit but I'm so glad that you brought that up yeah yeah no I really like Lily Nichols work she does a great job of really diving into the science and Mm. making it accessible for women so she's such a good resource and I would say um it's so right we're so our like how we evolved there aren't any uh tribal or we don't really have any records of completely vegans um, from like an evolutionary perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. And you think about, you know, before prenatal supplements, how did we get all these nutrients? We didn't have prenatal supplements and the human race is still here. So there, there is yeah. ways to get all of our nutrients met through diet. I think prenatal supplements make it a lot easier, especially for different diets to fill any gaps and it's totally doable, but at least having the knowledge and the background on what, what nutrients we might want to start thinking about, um, going into pregnancy. So I think especially for fertility, looking at your B vitamins. So Mm -hmm. folate is so important to, it's really important for a methylation process. So that whole genetic expression that we were talking about, but also in the first 28 days, that's when the neural tube forms. And a lot of women don't even know they're pregnant for those first 28 days. So you could miss a huge window to be getting folate in when it's the most important. So I think 
getting your prenatal vitamins sorted ahead of time is like going to get like make you rest assured that you're getting the baseline of what you need for healthy genetic expression and starting to build up your nutrient status going into pregnancy. Cause I think in that first trimester, it can be really hard to eat a really nutrient dense diet if you're dealing with food aversions and nausea. So feeling like you're doing some of the foundational work ahead of time can kind of give you that comfort and saying, okay, I have a really good nutrient status, really good nutrient stores going into pregnancy that my baby can rely on when really, you know, this week, all I can eat is some toast and crackers, for example. That's a really good way to put it. Um, you know, when you're talking about prenatals, I do want to talk a, a little bit more about that later on. But before we move into like the supplement part of it, um, could you tell us like the easy ways to sneak some of these nutrients that you were talking about, like the B vitamins into our day? Yeah. So B vitamins, you're going to find uh, those really good high amounts in animal proteins. You'll also find them in a lot of your vegetables and plant foods as well. So folate is actually, um, or sorry, avocados are actually one of the best places to get folate. So that's one of my favorite pregnancy superfoods, if you will, because it's packed with folate, it's packed with fiber, it's packed with healthy fats. So this is going to be really balancing for your blood sugar. In general, I think most women like avocados, so it's kind of an easy thing to just add to your breakfast, help support blood sugar balance, meet some of your nutrient needs. Um, yeah, and I think one avocado is like about eight grams of fiber. So that's that's quite a bit of fiber compared to a lot of other uh, foods where it can be tricky to get enough fiber nowadays. A lot of our foods are stripped of fiber and we want to support a healthy gut microbiome. So for thinking about fertility specifically, fiber is really supportive of de detoxification and supporting um, a healthy gut, which mm -hmm. is supportive of fertility. So that's one food where we can think about getting some B vitamins, but we can also think eggs. Eggs are a great source of choline, which 94% of women aren't getting enough of. And the newer research is showing us that we might even need double the amount of the current RDAs that are set. So not only are we deficient, but we might need mm -hmm. even more than we once thought. So eggs are going to be the easiest place to get that. Um, but if you cannot eat eggs, I have a lot of women in my course that are intolerant of eggs. I love this new company called Force of Nature and they're mixing grass-fed liver into their meat blends. So you can mm -hmm. get um, like ground chicken with, it has like 10% liver in it. And then you can get like grass-fed bison or grass-fed beef with like a little bit of liver and you don't taste it at all. And it's just a really That's nice cool. way. It's so awesome. It's yeah. like making it easy for us to just whip up like bolognese, like a ground beef stir fry, and you're getting those nutrients in without even noticing it or having to deal with, you know, cutting up liver, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. So that makes it so much easier. And there's so many new companies coming out that are making it easier. Um, I would say another really fun swap 
And it tends to be, you know, it could be more expensive if you're buying it from the store, but you can always make it homemade, but is bone broth. So if you're still Mm. using chicken broth or vegetable broth, we got to swap that over to bone broth because the bone broth is actually where you're going to get all of the rich collagen and glycine, which we need so much of during pregnancy. It's going to be super supportive of all of our, um, you know, our stretching skin, the growing uterus, the placenta. Um, it's, a, it's a precursor for glutathione, which is our master detoxifier. So it's going to help keep us and baby safe from toxins. So mm-hmm. I would say that's a really low hanging fruit. Like if you're still using broth versus um, like a chicken broth or a vegetable broth versus a bone broth, that's yeah. a good swap. And when you're buying bone broth, you want to look for Uh, grass-fed regenerative if you can, but also look at the nutrition label and make sure there's about 10 grams of protein per serving because that means it's going to be rich in the collagen. If Mm. it's like one gram of protein per serving, that means there's not very much collagen in there. So uh, getting in that habit of reading ingredient labels is something I talk a lot about in my course and um, on Instagram and stuff because I think that's also such low-hanging fruit if we can start to look at ingredient labels and just make a little bit of elevated options or swaps when we can, it can, it can save us a lot of, uh, a, a lot of, um, just overwhelm, little, I think. Yeah. Overwhelm. Yeah. And just like, I guess my mind is thinking about like all those little inflammatory oils and sugars that sneak into our diet. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it is overwhelming. There's like 50 different salad dressings to choose from nowadays. But then if you, if you find the brands you like, and you do a little bit of the work up front, it can be really easy just to kind of lean on those, like, and go back to them over and over. And you know, okay, this one's made with avocado oil versus canola oil, for example. Yeah, for sure. That's also what I do. And then, you know, when you go into the store, it's much easier because you know what you're looking for. And you're not just trying to like read the labels off like two shelves worth of salad dressings or something like that. Totally. <laughs> okay, so I love that. Um, that tip about avocados too. I think a lot of people only think about it as healthy fats. So it's really good to know that, you know, they're also really high in like folate and fiber, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so now we're shifting into like prenatal supplements. Um, you know, I have a lot of questions around this, like when should women start taking it? Also, you know, if someone is like really has a really high vitamin B12 normally, like should they still go on a prenatal? Um, but um, I'm going to leave it to you. Yeah. So I would say definitely three to four months before starting to try to conceive is when I recommend definitely getting on your prenatal. But if you're a planner like me, and I'm sure you are too, (laughs) we were just talking before this and thinking about preparing our bodies for optimal fertility and I'm already taking my prenatal. So you can take a prenatal for a year or so, and you're not going to be going overboard Mm. per se, because this is more of just a, it's a a higher dosage multivitamin, if you will. But, um, the one, the one nutrient you might want to look at is if you're already like super high iron status, you don't Mm. need extra iron. Some prenatals will include it. Some won't. But for the most part, um, just look for your iron. And and that's really the only one I would say you kind of want to watch out for. Most prenatals aren't going to be 
so high in anything that it would be toxic to take for too long. It's, it's, you're not going to build up too much, um, vitamin, like you're not going to build up too much over time Mm -hmm. that it's going to be dangerous. Um, for, for most prenatals, but definitely do your research, work with your doctor, talk to your doctor. I do think it's really a good idea to get labs done before you even get pregnant. I think a lot of us just get pregnant and then we're like, okay, well, where are we at? Like, and we're starting from scratch once we're pregnant, but if we can get a whole nutrient panel done before pregnancy, then we can start to cherry pick what nutrients we actually need. So a big one I see a lot is vitamin D, no matter where women live, even in Mm. Singapore, where we're right on the equator and it's super hot. So you think we're, we're showing skin to the sun. We're still vitamin D deficient there for the most part. A lot of us Mm. are, um, I think it's the, the stats are somewhere around 80% of women. So that low vitamin D status is a really big risk factor for infertility and miscarriage. So I would say if we can take care of that, it's so easily correctable. Yeah. It's not, it's not something that you can kind of correct through diet. That is one that you probably are going to have to supplement with unless you live in the Bahamas and you can get sunlight every day, but most of us can't, we work inside. We're not on the equator. We wear sunscreen. We're trying not to get wrinkles. (laughs) So it's tricky. Um, but if you can go get, go, go get with your doctor and ask for a Genova Nutra eval, that's my favorite. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but yes, I am familiar with that. Yeah. It's great. Best because, um, my husband got one, uh, a a few, a year ago or so, and he had really high mercury toxicity. Mm. So if he was my client and I saw that we would do a mercury detox, we would, you know, really reduce the exposures in his diet. Right. So you can, it's very an actionable test. I think a lot of times we get our labs back and we're like, I don't know what to do with them. Don't make any changes, but the Genova Nutri eval I think is worth the money because I even learned that's how I learned I had an MTHFR gene sniff is because I was so low folate, even Mm. eating a really healthy diet. I was like, yeah, I'm definitely, and I confirmed it and you kind of think, okay, well, good thing I knew that before I, I, I got, I got pregnant, right? Like it's like you start to make those little corrections where you see you need them the, so the Genova Nutri Evo will also give you like a, a a panel of like where your omega three to omega six ratios are and all of that. Mm. So I think it's super interesting to, to take a look at. Yeah. I love it. I mean, if you are a data person, you, you would love this because, you know, you can just see everything. Um, and I think also nutrients is something that we don't really test often, like, you know, conventional blood labs, they give you certain profiles, of course, like lipids and, um, you know, electrolytes and all that. But like, yeah, we really need to take into account like nutrition. Um, and also earlier when you were talking about how like prenatals have a higher dose of like vit- vitamins compared to a normal mu- multivitamin. Um, I was going to say that most of us are probably like insufficient or suboptimal in nutrient status anyway. So it's really hard to go overboard on that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and supplement companies should be really careful about, they're not going to put such high levels of like fat soluble vitamins. They're going to, it's more like the water soluble vitamins that there might be, okay. You might just be P 
peeing the excess out. Right. And that's why your pee might look a little bit more yellow when you're taking a high amount of B vitamins, for example. Um, so I don't think there's too much concern there. I think it's always important to double check with your doctor what your overall supplement protocol looks like and then making it personalized. Like thankfully nowadays we can totally personalize it to our own needs and not everyone is the same. Mm. But I think you made a good point, like getting ahead of it is, is the way to go. And most of us are nutrient deficient, unfortunately, even though yeah. I feel I follow such a healthy diet, genetics play a role into it. The fact that our food isn't as nutrient dense as it used to be hundreds mm -hmm. of years ago because of industrial, like how we farm nowadays, our modern day agriculture broccoli doesn't have as much vitamin C as it used to. So that's why I do think supplements are an important part of the prenatal healthy, I guess, guidelines I would follow is because a lot of times our diet, no matter the healthiest, healthiest person, we, yeah. we all are seeing suboptimal nutrients in some levels, right? So almost everyone is going to have something that we could optimize. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I love the whole, you know, big picture view, but also like some specificity about like nutrition and supplement use. Um, I have one quick question. So, you know, we've been talking about like women who are trying to conceive and preparing for conception. What about women who are pregnant and, you know, they either start to have cravings or they have certain like aversions to food. Uh, what do you think those mean? Oh yeah. So I think that's a really common question. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think our bodies are so smart and because mm -hmm. of all of the data we have now, and we have all the labs and CGMs and all this exciting new stuff, we can sometimes lose touch of our bodies. And we're like listening to experts tell us what we should be eating. But then I do think it's very important to listen to what our bodies are communicating with us. Mm -hmm. If we can tune into those cravings and ask, what do they mean? We can start to glean maybe what our bodies need and what they're asking for, and then start to add those foods into our diet. I had a client who had such intense chocolate cravings that she was like, it's, it's really weird. And I, I don't really want to be overeating chocolate all the time. And right. I kind of want to start to manage it. What do you think I should do? And she thought of it as more of like, she needs to go on a diet or break the habit or, you know, quit get the chocolate out of her house. Mm. But when you get really curious about, well, what does the craving mean? I'm thinking, well, chocolate's really high in magnesium. I wonder if we add more magnesium rich foods into your life, maybe add a magnesium supplement at night, if that would help. Almost immediately her chocolate cravings or the intensity of them went away. That's so cool. yeah, it's just like little things like yeah. that. I, um, I think for salty food, it's kind of the same thing. So if you're craving salty food, to me, I'm thinking there might be an electrolyte or mineral imbalance. Your body needs more fluids during pregnancy. And when we need more fluids, we also need more electrolytes and minerals. And I think there's been a lot of sentiment around 
reduce your sodium, but during pregnancy, you need more sodium. You need more potassium, you need more magnesium. So if we can add some electrolytes or or mineral trace mineral drops back into your water, that's going to help your hydration, hopefully help that craving. Um, when it comes to carbohydrates, obviously pregnancy is a really energy expensive task for our bodies and yes. carbohydrates are the easiest way we can get energy into our bodies. So that's a, that's a craving that makes complete sense to me, but then a lot of people demonize carbohydrates and we know that, you know, tech, I mean, technically we might not need as many carbohydrates as like the current guidelines are telling us. So it's like, where is that happy medium? I think in my mind, listen to the craving, but then pair that carbohydrate with a healthy fat or with some protein to balance your blood sugar. So it's more about don't eat naked carbs all the time, but just listen to the craving and then nourish yourself in a way that supports your nutrient status. Um, I did have, going back to the whole meat thing, I had a vegetarian in the course who was like, I'm Mm -hmm. craving a burger and she's been vegetarian for 17 years. And it's kind of like, okay, well, what is that telling us? It's like, maybe there's low iron status. Her doctor Mm -hmm. confirmed that low B12. So Mm -hmm. it's really, I think our body's way of communicating with us. And I like to feed my cravings. I don't think of cravings as a bad thing. I think it's it's what our bodies need and we need to listen to that and honor it. I love it. And I also think, you know, when you t- were talking about pregnancy cravings, that also applies to like non-pregnant people. Like mm-hmm. it's just signals that our bodies give to us. Um, those are excellent examples. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. So um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about prenatal nutrition before we kind of wrap this up? Um, well, I... I think just, it's such an exciting time. And I think it's overwhelming. And I think if you're feeling the fear of like the mom guilt and like worrying, because I think, you know, we can talk so much about how nutrition plays such a big role, but it's like, when you know better, you can start to do better. And Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, arming yourself with good, positive, encouraging resources that are going to help you start to take little actions in the right step in the right steps in the right going in the right direction right it's not about overhauling your entire diet and lifestyle and getting rid of all the plastic in your home in one day it's more okay as things run out we replace them or maybe at the grocery store we get some force of nature meet this time instead of like the lean chicken breast and we're kind of experimenting Mm -hmm. so find those people that resonate with you. If you're pregnant or you're looking to, um, optimize your fertility and lean on those resources. I have a course that, um, if you are interested, it really takes you through everything you need to know about prenatal nutrition. And that's a really fun place because I do monthly coaching calls. So I open myself up to, um, all of the members so that I can answer their questions. And I, I basically help you navigate this whole new territory. There's so many questions when it comes to nutrition for pregnancy. And I think women are often left Googling their way through the whole thing. So I may not be the best way. (laughs) Yeah. I, there's a lot of bad information online. So I'm trying to be that resource for women. And Mm -hmm. if you're more just in the 
phase of your life where you're looking to optimize your fertility and balance your hormones. I also am offering a free fertility guide. It's a 10 part fertility guide and it's going to be on my website around May 3rd. So, um, that's like a really good starting place. If you are kind of just in the phase that I'm in right now, which is just optimizing fertility. And I think that's going to give you so much just added free value. I love it. And where can people find your course on your website? Yeah. So my website is hellobalance.co, not.com, but hellobalance.co. And then my Instagram is at hellobabynutrition. And if you are just not into fertility, I also have another, or sorry, not into fertility or pregnancy. I also have another Instagram, which is called at hellobalance. And that Mm -hmm. is my Instagram where I kind of just share more blood sugar balancing recipes and fun stuff like that. Got it. I will put all of that in the show notes and also um, the picture about like the mice, the difference in the mice. Oh yeah. The agouti study. Yeah. We, need to, we need to add yes. that in there for sure. It's so, <laughs> so interesting. And yeah. uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, thank you for sharing all your knowledge around the research and also, you know, different foods that we can incorporate to our diet. Um, you know, good luck with all your conception um, plans happening this year. Um, And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Melissa. Talk soon.